Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. What's happening, folks? Hey, surprise. This is all just an AI program that's cloned our voices and is reading this off of a script. It is so convincing. Isn't it? It sounds just like us. It does. I can't believe it. Yeah. Well, if you're still with us and haven't mashed the button off your radio, it's not true. Uh, radio? Are you listening? <laughs> Who's listening to us on a radio? Apparently you are. Apparently. Next, you pop in your eight track. <laughs> Take the knob and turn it to 11 <laughs> and rip it off. <laughs> Welcome to KKKR or whatever KKK, it is. huh? What? Hey, that's not what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> to the pure, all things are pure, Pastor Ron. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Hey, we're, we're back. Saturday, again. October 21. Hey, you know what, what's happening today? What is happening Our today? ladies are doing a thing. They're they doing are a thing. doing a thing. The second one. The second of the things. Women's Bible study. Yeah. Women's Bible Church, North Texas. Pastor Amanda nope, Burner. No, 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 no. no, okay. no, Just to no. Be clear. <laughs> Remove that. Strike that from the record. No. Mark. <laughs> Mark it. Yeah. My wife is, uh, is not a pastor. She is, uh, my or wife. A pastress. She's, no, not a pastress either. Or the first lady. <laughs> no, she's a gifted, uh, handler of the word and she does a great job with the ladies at our church, but she would be the first in line to, to announce it from the rooftops that she's not a pastor. What is she teaching on today? She is teaching out of Galatians two twenty. Oh, uh, the life I live. I live by faith in the son of God. That's going to be good. Yep. That's going to be good. Yep. Setting up our series on the fruit of the spirit that our ladies are going to be going through. Our men are going to be going through that as well. In fact, next you're going to be teaching next week, next week. Yeah. Well, AI is going to be teaching. I'm going to actually just pop in the text and my general thoughts about it. I'm going to have it spit out a sermon and okay. I'm going to read it verbatim. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that unfortunately, it's going to help with a lot of sermon prep. Unfortunately, that does happen. I'm you know, sure. they, they did have chat GPT do a, a sermon not too long ago. I forget where, what church I, I don't, I'll, I'll find it, I guess, but some church had it, had it write the whole thing yeah. and it was responsible for the whole service. It not only preached, if you could call it that, I don't know that a, a robot or a, a machine can preach, right. technically speaking, but it, it gave a sermon and it also coordinated the whole service. I guess it wrote or coordinated the worship music, oh the dear. liturgy, the whole thing. Oh dear. It was pastor AI. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've just to see what we're dealing with before. Like I remember when it was first hitting the scenes or whatever, I, I would, chat GPT. I was like, okay, write a sermon on Ephesians two, uh, verses eight, nine to a group of college students from orange County. Uh, you know, and, and I hit enter on that just to see what it kicked back and, and it, it crushed it. it. It wrote a sermon that wasn't, was theologically accurate enough that you're going, okay, this is just, this is your crazy. job was in jeopardy. No, no, I'm, not, ever, in your I'm not worried about that. And, and it also was not, it lacked so much of the human touch. And I, I mean, I, j- I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust it as far as I could throw it. Um, <laughs> which is, I think those servers are pretty heavy. I don't think I'm going to be throwing those in probably not. Soon. They are pretty heavy. Yeah. But so. you can make it, you can, you can, you can feed it samples of your voice, not just like your actual voice, but your speaking voice, your Apple the, has that now. You yeah. can do that on your iPhone. Well, I, d- I don't mean like your technical, like the voice that the audible voice, I mean like the, the way that you speak, yeah. the, the mannerisms, vocalisms, right. You can give it that and it can produce something that sounds just like you. Yeah. It, it, but you, you mentioned, I don't know that I would technically call, technically call it preaching. And I, I think that is a, a key difference. And this is why I don't think we're going to, well, there will be robots pastoring churches someday, unfortunately, um, not oh, good churches, it's but coming, churches. Man. It's coming. But there's, there's something about the human 
dynamic, even in the preaching moment. Like when, when I'm up there preaching, it's, there's, there's the human involved in relating to those that are in the room and connecting with those that are in the room oh, and definitely. understanding the hearts of the people that you're preaching to knowing even as you're saying something and catching somebody's eye in the room, as you're saying it, what they're going through and how, what you're saying is impacting them. It, it shapes you as a preacher and your dynamics and the dynamics of the sermon yeah. and a robot is not going to be able to do that. And so uh, y- you could train a robot to preach like John MacArthur and get the exegesis right and mm-hmm. everything else. But the impact is going to be far less than a human being standing in the pulpit with the word of God and preaching with that relational connectivity. Oh, for sure. It'd be, it'd be the difference between buying a meal from a restaurant, presenting it as your own versus a meal that you labored over for the good of your family. You thought about oh, Luke really likes this ingredient. I'm going to use this particular spice. Oh, Amanda loves steak. I'm going to make her steak. And she, she likes it like this medium. It's that mentality versus I'm just going to order a meal from the, the restaurant down the block. Yeah. Yeah. But even in the delivery, not just in the preparation, in the delivery, there's something different. Yeah. You between the, the human and the, Here's your tin of food versus right. here's a plate of food I made for you. Right. Diamond encrusted plate. Diamond encrusted. Yeah. Sprinkled with gold. Yeah. There are people that do that. They cover steak with gold. Have you seen I've that? I've seen that. Crazy. Edible gold leaf or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, hey, thanks. you can rest assured listening to us on this, that there will never be a sermon preached at Compass Bible Church in North Texas that is written by AI. And surprise, we're not actually AI. We are not. Hey, you were probably thinking, no wonder these guys are so good. No, nay, may it never be. Nay, I say, we are real. Yep, yep. Trick or treat. Maybe you were tricked. (laughs) But here's the treat. You get to listen to the real people for the rest of the podcast. Okay, yeah. All right. Get to it, pastors. Come on, come on. Jeremiah chapter five and six. Don't have all day, pastors. Jeremiah 5 opens with, I think, echoes of, I uh, wonder if you picked up on this too, Pastor Rod, uh, Abraham. The w word again? Nope. Nope, not nope, that nope, one. Nope, not oh, that okay. one. Uh, or treacherous. But echoes <laughs> of the situation with Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah here, when God showed up to Abraham and told him what he was going to do, and Abraham said, will you, Lord, punish the city if I can find, and remember, he just kept going back to God and wearing God out, going, hey, what if What if there's 10? What if there's five? What if?" I saw it there. I wrote it down here, Genesis 18. Yep because you'll look at how it opens up. It says run to and fro throughout the streets of Jerusalem, not Sodom and Gomorrah, the city of God, Jerusalem. Look and take note, search her squares to see if you can find a man, one who does justice and seeks truth that I might pardon her. Oof, just one guy. Just one. He was looking for one. Yeah. No one does good. Not even one. Right. 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 Verse three, your Lord, uh, oh Lord, do not your eyes look for truth. You've struck them down, but they felt no anguish. They refused to take correction. They've made their faces harder than a rock. They refused to repent. Uh, it, It only gets worse from here. Look at verse five. I will go to the great and speak to them for they know the way of the Lord, the justice of their God, but they all alike had broken the yoke and burst the bonds. Another allusion here, I think to Psalm chapter two, uh, this time when the nations are plotting against God and they want to break the yoke, they want to break the bonds of God's rule over them. And here it's not the nations doing this. It's not the Gentiles. It's the people of Israel that want to break the boat, the yoke and break the bonds, uh, from God's leadership over them. And so I think, uh, he's calling back to, to Psalm two in there as well. I saw in verses seven and eight, the uh, warning against our our being well-fed 
being full, yep. having prosperity is a dangerous blessing because it has yeah. the ability to desensitize us to our neediness for what God for what God provides, what God offers, and it can so often deceive us. It can deceive us into trusting in it rather than trusting in the Lord. They were well fed, verse eight, lusty stallions, each neighing for his neighbor's wife. In other words, they were they were lustful. They were never content with what God gave them. They're, they were well fed. That is to say, God was providing for all of their needs. God was generously blessing them, and yet it wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. They demanded more. And talk about something that looks like what we see today. You could go almost anywhere right now in the dark spaces of the internet and find all that your lustful heart desires. And what a dangerous place for us to be, because this is the inevitable sin that God calls to account. It says, this is one of the reasons why I'm going to judge you. Yeah. Yeah. Verses 10 and 11. Then the response of God is he's going to prune away the dead branches from the vine. Israel so often is referred to as the vine. We saw that in Isaiah. We see the imagery coming back again here. And this even calls uh, forward to a passage that you're going to be preaching on to the men in John 15 in a, a few weeks. And I guess next week, next Saturday. Yeah, yeah. One week from today. Yeah. Yeah. Next Saturday. So come, come to hear that gentlemen. I'd love for you to be part of that. John 15. We're going to look at the first eight verses. It is rich. Yep. Better than the steak with the gold around it. Better better than in a diamond crust more plate. savory yeah pastor rod's gonna give you all a diamond crust plate for showing up <laughs> man we got some large coffers at this church yikes um yeah but he's going to prune the vines and, and remove the the dead branches he's stripped them away for they are not the lord's uh, the house of israel the house of judah have been utterly here's our word treacherous they've been faithless to me and so what's he going to do well that's uh, chapter 5 verses 14 and following he's bringing that nation from uh, afar against the house of israel an enduring nation an ancient nation a nation whose language you do not know nor can you understand what they say uh, deuteronomy 28 provides a lot of helpful background to what we're reading about in the book of jeremiah and so deuteronomy 28 might be helpful for you to read on the side here we're not going to take time during the whole podcast to go read the whole chapter oh because Deuteronomy chapter 28 gives the blessings for obedience and the cursings for disobedience. And so much of what unfolds against Israel through the writing of Jeremiah and the prophetic word here is what's laid out there by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 28, telling Israel way back then, look, if you are faithless to the Lord, this is what's going to happen. If you don't obey, this is what's going to happen. And surely that is what happens. Verse 17 is one of those instances. Go read Deuteronomy 28, 30 through 33, and notice the parallels between that passage and what we read about here in verse 17 that Babylon is going to do uh, to the nation of Israel there. Yeah, notice the interjection though in verse 18. God again can't help but tell tell his people there will be a remnant. I'm going to protect some of you. But even in those days, declares the Lord, verse 18, I will not make a full end of you. In other words, there's going to be a partial people that God preserves. Again, this is the remnant, those whom God protects amidst the judgment. Yeah. But again, people are going to say, well, why then? Why is he doing these things to us? And his answer is because of their sinfulness. Uh, verse 21, call back to Isaiah 6. Uh, Hear this, O foolish and senseless people who have eyes but see not and ears but hear not. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do not tremble before me. Uh, verse 24, they do not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord our God. Verse 28, they know no bounds in deeds of evil. And so as we talked about yesterday, uh, there, there's no fear of the Lord there. And that that lack of the fear of the Lord is bleeding over into the, the morality or immorality, I should say, of their lives. And they are not walking in faithful obedience to the Lord. And that's why, verse 29, shall I not punish them for these things? Shall not I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? 
such a good time for us to always take a look at our own selves and say, how am I doing? Am I in any way acting like them who have become great and rich and have grown fat and sleek and yet... You know, despite all the blessings of the Lord in my inner person, I don't fear the Lord. Maybe yeah. the inner person, you're going astray and you're walking in, in a path of sin. And God would use a text like this to warn you and say, please avoid the consequence of this. Now, granted, again, we're different. We're not Israel, but it's not inappropriate to look at this text and say, what What do I need to get from this? Uh, God put this here, not just so we can look at a historical account and say, oh, that's interesting about how God did that. This is readily applicable to us today. And if I think there's there's one or two themes that you could apply, it's fear the Lord. Turn from sin. Do not trifle with God. If there's any place in your life that you're doing that, now would be a time to shuv, to repent, to return. Yep. Chapter six, it, it, it's it's repeated themes for a reason. Um, I mean, even just think about as Isaiah is prophesying these things to Judah, he's he keeps going back over the same things. This is more of of explaining ex, explaining <laughs> explaining is good though. Explaining also, yeah, um, what is going to happen and uh, in the fact that he's going to bring Babylon. He's using different metaphors here to to communicate these things. In verse three, there's shepherds with their flocks that are going to come against the city. They're uh, pictured on the the outskirts of the city as they would have normally at one time seen shepherds out there with their flocks. Now they're going to see armies sitting out there. Verse six, who's the global commander in chief? over all these things. It's, it's Yahweh. It's the Lord of hosts. He's the one that's bringing this upon the city. He's the one that's bringing these armies against it. Why? Because verse seven, as a well keeps its water fresh, so she keeps fresh her evil. Um, just a, a picture of the, as the, the, the depravity of the people of, of Jerusalem there. Verse eight, again, this is still a warning though. Be warned, O Jerusalem, lest I turn from you in disgust, lest, lest I make a desolation of you an uninhabited land. And so there. It, it, there, there is still hope if they will shuv, if they will repent. Uh, this is a, a warning. Uh, verse 10, I think you get the prophet here saying, to whom uh, shall I speak and give this warning that they might hear? Behold, their ears are uncir- uncircumcised. They cannot listen. The word of the Lord to them is an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Therefore, I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I'm weary of holding it in. In other words, I think Isaiah is just frustrated with, with the people himself here as he's b- bringing this message to a, an obstinate uh, group of recipients and he's saying who who is going to to hear what i have to say uh, some of the frustration of, of isaiah i'm sure when the lord said to isaiah go and preach and they're not going to listen to you yeah uh, the the indictment against the shepherds in uh verses 14 and 15 they they've healed the wound of my people lightly saying peace peace when there is no peace um such a, a, a important concept. John Owen used to say, we cannot preach to our preach peace to ourselves before God preaches peace, peace to our souls. Mm. Um, and so when we sin, there's an appropriate gravity that we should feel. We should feel the weight of it instead of smoothing over it and just going through the motions and expecting that everything's fine with the Lord, because we are offering our vain offerings of sacrifice and praise. And, and I think that's important for us today in the church too. When we sin, there should be a brokenness, a broken spirit and a contrite heart not condemnation and shame those things have been dealt with at the cross but a brokenness and a sorrow a genuine sorrow over our sin before a holy god and as go the leader so go the people be sure that you are praying for your leaders yes i mean it was in verse 13 where he says for from the least to the greatest of them everyone is greedy for unjust gain and from prophet to priest everyone deals falsely yeah. you can hardly expect that a people would do well when her leadership is corrupt yeah when her leadership is wicked and wayward 
so important. I mean, when we see this all throughout the creation, right? All those in Adam are dead in their sin because of Adam's leadership. Yeah. Uh, a father, when a father does things that are evil and cruel, it's not un, unheard of to see a family crumble under the pressure of a bad father. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's true when leadership is involved at, in any in any sense. So please pray for your leaders. You know, wives, pray for your husbands. Mm-hmm. Um, husbands, pray for your pastors. <laughs> Pastors, we should be praying. We're going to get into this in First Timothy. Now, we should be praying for a lot of people that are in places of leadership because as the leader goes, so goes the people. Unless God does something utterly miraculous. Otherwise, this is the normal course of things. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this is important for us. We've often said before, America is not Israel 2.0. And, and that's important for us to hold on to. But I think something that's that's noteworthy here, and, and it comes out here in this chapter because in verse 19, he's God's announcing to the nations here, O earth, he's, he's putting on display before the nations, the punishment that he's bringing against the people, his people, Judah, right? Israel, uh, the people chosen as for his own possession. And if we think for a minute that we're going to be exempt, we're fooling ourselves. Um, if, if God's not going to deal with our depravity, with our sinfulness, if he dealt this way with his own people, what's to keep him from dealing this way with, with us as well and our rebellion. And so, uh, th- this is, this is heavy to, to read about what he's doing to his people. This is, he called Israel his firstborn. Um, and so the, this is not something that God took lightly to punish and judge his people. This was a situation that was tragic and grieving to his heart that his people rebelled against him. And, and likewise for us today, um, as Pastor Rod has, has called attention to a couple times in the last two days, it, it's important for us to examine our lives because the sin in our lives is likewise tragic and grieving to our father uh, as well. And we want to get rid of it as quickly as we possibly can. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths. We need to be people of the book, being yep. of the word, not just to hear the judgment, but to also study it, memorize it, internalize it, let it drive us into greater and greater Christ-likeness. Yep. Yeah, well, let's turn to First Timothy. Okay. I'm there. First Timothy, the first letter of Paul to Timothy. Yeah, these are the uh, First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus, uh, pastoral epistles that we have here. And by pastoral epistles, what we mean here is- Only is, pastors can read them. Only pastors so can read that. Please turn it off if you're not a pastor. Yeah. No. <laughs> but there are a lot of principles for shepherding that are provided here. And, and the reason being is is uh, Timothy was doing the work of, of ministry here. This was written to an individual who was on the ground doing work in these churches. And so rather than being written to a church, it's written to an individual. And this individual is doing a lot of the work of pastoral ministry. There's questions here as to whether or not Timothy was the pastor, so to speak, of the church in Ephesus, um, or whether or not he was simply an, a, a, an envoy that was sent there to help the church in Ephesus. But that's where he is in this book. Uh, that's why Paul says there, as I urged you when I was going to Ma- Macedonia, remain at Ephesus there in verse three. Um, and so Timothy is there. He's dealing with the church that is based there, the, the church that received the letter of uh, the Ephesians. And he's there because there's a problem facing the church. And one of the problems facing the church there is uh, there, there are, are myths and genealogies that are being uh, talked about here. So, uh, Pierre, what do we do with that? Um, I, I can't remember the last time I went to church and somebody wanted to talk to me about genealogies um, or, <laughs> or the, the myth like Aesop's fables or something. What are we talking about with this passage? Yeah, so it's interesting because there's there's a few ways to tackle this. But I think rather than go through the, the actual 
options for, for what this speaks about, I think one way that we could generally approach a text like this is to say, okay, there is some kind of speculative, yeah. uh, a speculative theology idea that clearly was not founded in the word of God. Now, what they were talking about, again, really not the, the main idea here. What Paul is encouraging Timothy to do is to say, look, I'm going to charge you. In fact, I would circle the, the word charge every time you read it. Verse three, you'll see it for the, in the first place so that you may charge certain per- persons not to teach any different doctrines. The idea here is that we don't want to be caught up with things that are peripheral, speculative. Mm-hmm. And man, there's a lot of that today and it could be so distracting because it is it is enticing. Yep. There's stuff out there right now and some really well-produced podcasts that, that really kind of dabble with things that are on the on the edges of Christian theology. It's not that they're heterodox, not that they're false teachers per se, but are they the most helpful conversations? Are they the best way for us to spend our time? Paul says, look, the aim of our charge to to remove these speculations is love. Yep. We want people to spend time on things that are going to really improve their godliness, things that are going to serve them well. He says in verse six, certain persons by swerving from these fundamentals of the faith have wandered away into vain discussion fruitless conversation, things that aren't going to matter, things that in a thousand years are going to be like, oh, well, that was kind of a point, a waste of time. That was pointless conversation. In verse seven, he says, these people desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions, they're going astray and they're taking others with them. Beware of these kinds of people, guys, especially those who we we were just talking to someone recently who was saying, look, uh, the church is an option. Going to traditional church, going to a church service, that's an option. Christ actually does not call us to go to church. How would you respond, Pastor PJ? Uh, you're wrong. <laughs> Case closed. Yeah. <laughs> They're done. Yeah. I mean, in, in that situation, it, 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 you're dealing with somebody who is, who is not, who's willfully choosing to, to disagree with clear commands in scripture. I mean, the, there's passages in Hebrews that call us not to neglect the gathering together. The fact that every single New Testament letter uh, written to a church was written to a specific group of people. Right. Uh, with elders and right. deacons. Right. The, the church is assumed in the New Testament. The, there was no such thing as a New Testament Christian that said, I'm part of the church universal, but not the church local. It's uh, so basic. It's assumed. Right. And it's not, it's not even debated because right. it's the way that the church was built. Because there was a desperation and a dependence for it. Today, church is a luxury. You have the luxury to be a part of the local church, church online or not to, right? right? Because you live in a culture where you don't feel a desperation for your brothers and sisters in Christ to survive the day in and day out and to practice Christianity. You sit in your armchair with your Doritos on your lap, you know, with greasy fingers flipping through the channels until you find a pastor that itches your ears and is going to say what you want him to say. And then when, when you're done, you turn it off and you move on with the rest of your day. Being a part of the church is, is a lifeline and it's so much more than getting in your car and driving to a building. It is, is to live life with brothers and sisters in Christ and to, to, to participate with each other, to serve one another, to love one another. Um, and not only that, this is a rehearsal for eternity. If you don't want to be a part of a local church, you're going to hate heaven. You're going to hate it. Mm. It's not about you as an individual, right? And to, to take Christianity to say it's not about the church is to completely make it about you and not about Christ and what he purchased with his blood. Yeah, that's apropos because this entire letter really is about Paul giving Timothy instructions about how to run a church, right? How to how to organize a church, and so we're going to see a lot of really fundamental, helpful things about what a church should look like. Most essentially, a church's job is not to speculate about things that we really can't know with any degree of certainty, right? And that focuses our attention. That's not going to that's not going to let us talk about a lot of things that are controversial and uh, hot button issues. I mean, we won't shy away from things that we can speak to. But remember, uh, our job is not to go and 
kind of dabble with myths and endless ge- genealogies or things that promote speculations. Rather, we want to focus on the stewardship that is from God by faith. Right. Keep the main thing the main thing. And that's where Paul goes next by talking about his own testimony. He says, this is what matters is what God has done in my life. I was the chief of sinners, the foremost of sinners. And he said, God saved me. And I I love this. He says, I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, Christian, your testimony is your testimony so that God can use that to bring other people to faith, that people are going to see God's patience towards you. And say, man, if God can be patient towards PJ, he can be patient towards me. If God's transformed his life, that's, I want that. Right. And then they're going to respond in faith and repentance. So your testimony is a sermon of God's grace in your life to other people. And God's calling you to preach that um, and to use that and to employ that. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And that's in part how we, as he goes on to say, wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Um, and so this this is a, 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 such an important concept for us to make sure that we keep the main thing, the main thing, major on the major and not the minors. Right. And verse 18, it's a charge. Paul is charging Timothy. Hey, this is what the church is about. Yep. Don't get distracted. Remain focused. Keep the main thing, the main thing. And notice here, Paul's not afraid to mention names yeah. when there's a time for this. And not that you should do this every time. We don't, we're not going to be blasting people every time Pastor Peter is in the pulpit. But notice he calls out Hymenaeus and Alexander. And get this, I've handed them over to Satan yeah. that they may learn not to blaspheme. Yikes. Talk about some serious business here. This is church This is church discipline, yep. evidently. Yep. And Paul's not afraid to say, look, these are the guys that you need to be aware of. They've yeah. been handed over. That's scary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's what a church does. It is what a church does. One more small nugget that I think might be encouraging or helpful to some of you who are having conversations along these lines. Give and this is a chicken hot button uh, issue in our culture. I want you to go back up. And uh, he talks about the law being good. Uh, if one uses it lawfully, it's for the sinner, not for the just. In other words, it's not for the Christian to try to justify themselves before God. The law is the mirror that the, the unbeliever looks into and sees their need for Christ here. But I want you to notice how he defines uh, that which is sin. The unholy and the profane, he goes on, those who strike their fathers and mothers, murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality wow enslavers liars perjurers and notice this whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine so when he says whatever else he's lumping in everything that he's just talked about including homosexuality and says it's contrary to sound doctrine you're going to get from some voices in what they would profess as christianity today today saying uh, that homosexuality it needs to be redefined as not a sin that the bible never it, it's it's a cultural thing it's not something that we need to, to treat as sinful anymore we need to get past this and uh, and it's 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 okay paul's making a very clear statement here to timothy when he says you need to be careful about and the, the law is there to condemn that which is contrary to sound doctrine sound teaching that which is in accordance with truthfulness and homosexuality is part of that which is contrary to sound doctrine. If someone has a desire, uh, a same-sex, same-sex attraction, is that sinful? Or is it just those who practice it? Man, 25 minutes into the podcast? Okay, okay. let's let's finish the podcast, and then we could do a bonus podcast talking just about this. No, I, I here's a short-form answer. Um, the practice is undeniably sinful, right? We can agree on that the desire that's there. This gets into the whole question of for the same sex attracted uh, individual is God's will that they become heterosexual or is it God's will that they simply stop engaging in homosexual behavior? Um, I, I think in some instances it's a case by case situation. Uh, 
Hmm. Undeniably, God's will is that they stop engaging in, in homosexual behavior. And I believe that that is also God's ability and prerogative to grant them desires that they've never had before to have a wife or to have a husband in, in the case of the opposite um, and, and to have a family that, that God has, has called believers to have um, everyone to have uh, that God has designed. So I think God is able to overcome even the strongest um, same sex attracted uh, past in history and replacing those desires because the desire comes not necessarily from a change in, in the way a person is, is wired or, or predisposed to be attracted to certain individuals. But the change comes in, man, my love for God and my desire to obey him has transformed those desires and created in me different desires and new desires that I never thought I would ever have. So I think the hope is that yeah i think for anyone who's coming out of that lifestyle i think the hope is that god would provide for them that uh, that family that he has designed in the, the way it's it's to operate is that going to happen or are we going to bat a thousand on that no um and that's why i said i, I think it is a case-by-case situation but i think there's abundant clarity that the the most urgent step is we repent from the sin and stop the sin helpful answer uh if someone has a follow-up uh, podcast at compassntx.org, yep. right that's yep. what it still is yep. yeah okay yeah great yeah hey thanks for tuning in for a little bit of an extra long episode of the daily Bible podcast and we'll catch you tomorrow for another one bye maybe not as long <laughs> hey thanks for joining us for another episode of the daily bible podcast we hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the word if it has if you would subscribe to this podcast leave a like leave a comment and share it with some friends and family that would be awesome If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.